0: Welcome to documentaries, where we'll discuss a different documentary each week. A good documentary is a starting point to better understand our world. In you know what, this is our fourth episode. Do we really need to keep saying that? <laughs> if people have been listening this far, they probably know we're going to talk about documentaries. Right, again. right. That's true. That's they know true. What a documentary is all so right. So we just we talk about a different documentary each week. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> So, this week we chose Cropsy. Do we want to talk about show updates? Do you have any updates or corrections before we start talking about Cropsy? No, but you did. In the first episode, Claire had mentioned that she wanted to see a slow motion video of Pipples doing his whole body of So <laughs> Well, I was able to get one of those, so I'll make sure we put that on our Facebook page. Nice! <laughs> uh, he does that all the time, so it's not very hard to get on film. <laughs> And then I had one correction. In the killing season, I incorrectly called WebSleuthsWebSleuthing.com. Oh. So I have no idea what WebSleuthing.com is. It's a porn site. Sorry Probably, about that, y'all. yeah.
1: Some, Sorry know, about all those pop up
0: site. <laughs> Don't go to it. Check out websleuth.com. That's all I had. Cropsey is a 2009 American documentary film written and directed by Josh Zeman and Barbara Broncaccio. The film initially begins as an examination of Cropsey, a boogeyman-like figure from New York City urban legend, before segueing into the story of Andre Rand, a convicted child kidnapper from Staten Island. It's currently streaming on Netflix. This podcast will contain spoilers, so listen at your own risk. So, so Cropsy. yeah. I'd seen this film mentioned in different lists, mm-hmm. usually the creepiest documentaries or the scariest documentaries you should watch, that sort of thing. And I had actually tried to watch it before and got distracted and never went back to it. So I'm glad that we went back to it. I found it very interesting, and even though Josh Zeman was very irritating and distracting <laughs> to me in the first documentary of his that we watched, The mm-hmm. Killing Season... This one that he did several years before, I found him not irritating or not distracting. I thought Mm -hmm. he was very genuine in Mm -hmm. it, even though he was in the screen and part of the story. And I didn't find Barbara distracting at all. Uh Like I had Rachel in the other documentary. So this one I got a lot more out of.
1: Yeah. I think they had a lot more to work with in this one than they did. And they didn't have as much time to fill. And both of those factors probably helped the situation. There wasn't as much time for them to turn the camera on themselves and talk about how they felt about things and That's how they true. came across things and you know make it the big um, Zeman show.
0: Yeah, the only two things that they did in this one that were reminiscent of the other one for me was they went on the grounds at night and they saw another group in the distance and you know it was mm-hmm. a little bit scary but it turned mm-hmm. out to be nothing. It's a group of teenagers and right. So I thought that kind of was one of those veering into nowhere, right? But it did add to the creepiness factor.
1: Right, and it was interesting to hear from the kids what they knew about the actual story and yes. what they had heard as far as the urban legend, too. True. But I think he probably could have done those interviews without leading up to it with the, ooh, isn't this spooky? All we have is our flashlights. That's and true. I dropped mine. I dropped Whoops. mine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then the other, uh, all the talk about devil worship, I wasn't yeah. sure if that was really necessary, at least to that length. Yeah. But, you know, it was a sign of the times, too, when these crimes happened in the 70s and 80s. And yeah. so that was a big topic of discussion. The satanic panic. Um.
1: Yeah, I was hesitant to watch this Documentary Because I knew that Willowbrook was involved somehow. And I had seen documentaries. I don't know if it was a documentary or just an extended news report. The one with Geraldo Rivera. Yeah. Where he kind of exposed what was actually going on at this state school. So I knew that footage was going to be there. And I knew it was going to bug me. But I had no idea about the actual story Mm -hmm. of the murders that occurred in and around that area. And my dad is from Long Island. And my only memory of Staten Island was when I was a kid. My grandmother uh, and I were going to Staten Island. To visit somebody, and she said that the, we had to wait for the ferry to come and take us to Staten Island. And to my five or six year old mind, that meant that like Tinkerbell was oh, gonna. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, I was looking for somebody with sparkly wings to swoop in and carry us across the, the water. Staten Island
0: Yeah, imagine
1: my disappointment when it was just a big old boat. <laughs> so anyway but my husband when I mentioned it to him about it occurring on Staten Island he said isn't there a big dump there like a big landfill and I was like ah funny you should ask yes so I thought that was an interesting thing that they talked about how it had this reputation because of Willowbrook being where you dumped kids that weren't up to your standards and the landfill being where you dumped trash and someone even said there were like mob hits (laughs) bodies that were dumped there for that it just kind of had this sort of weird juxtaposition on the one hand it was very father knows best and swept sidewalks and tight-knit neighbors. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, there was this sort of like, you know, icky stuff that went on that people didn't like to talk about.
0: Yeah, that was very interesting. Yeah, the whole Willowbrook thing, the fact that it happened on the grounds there, did give it a a creepy feel, you know, because it was abandoned and there was so much history there. And Mm -hmm. and then Andre Rand's mother had been in an institution identical to Mm -hmm. that, I thought was an interesting Uh tie-in. And then the fact that he worked at Willowbrook... And then after it was abandoned, you know, so many people lived there, like mm-hmm. underground in the tunnels and stuff. Yeah, it was very interesting. And I was glad that they put the Willowbrook history in there mm-hmm. because I feel like that's an important topic today, mm-hmm. uh, especially with talk of budget cuts and, mm-hmm. you know, cuts to services and things like that. It's important to be aware of, you know, the Geraldo Exposé. Right. I think that's timely right now. Oh, we, for sure. We never want to go back to mm-hmm. that situation. The College of Staten Island is now on the site where Willowbrook School was. Mm-hmm. That's a school that's dedicated to sociology, anthropology, and social work. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a, a very good point that needs to be made, too, and that I thought that came across mm-hmm. in the documentary. And I was surprised it had all this good information in it. I expected yeah. a an urban legend, scary, kind of, you know, man with a hook kind of story. Right. Yeah, uh, but actually found it informative.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that part of my hesitation in watching this because I knew that it involved the Willowbrook stuff was that a couple years ago there was some around Halloween every year there's all these pop-up businesses that like they're doing haunted woods over here and they have this haunted experience, whatever. There was one somewhere nearby that was uh, doing a haunted experience somewhere and their promotional video had footage from Willowbrook.
0: Oh. Here? In this area?
1: Yeah. And they had set it up so that I don't know what building they were actually doing it in but they were setting it up so that it was supposed to be Like, I'm sure it was inspired by Cropsey, at -hmm. least something like it, but it was supposed to be set in a closed down institution. And so they had all this like scary music and all this stuff about like, oh, someone's going to, you know, mm-hmm. and the way they always do. But there was, it was intercut with footage from Willowbrook, which was actual children and actual, yeah. you know, lives. Somebody's child. So that was disturbing because they were just using that footage, that very real historical footage to sell $10 tickets to some scary experience. Yeah. So I didn't want... that was want, on
0: television, like local commercials?
1: It was, you know, it was kind of passing around on YouTube. Oh. Um but it was somewhere somewhere on the coast maybe. I don't remember where exactly it was, but it was just Like really disconcerting to see that footage being used to like sell a scary Halloween attraction. Yeah,
0: that's inappropriate. And
1: so I didn't want that same footage. I was kind of you know keeping this at arm's length. Like, don't just make it like, ooh, isn't this scary? And I think they did do a good job. It's relevant. That footage is relevant to this story because that is where it happened. Right. And he worked there, and his victims, his alleged victims, all, almost all, at least, had some sort of intellectual disability. Right. So, it definitely was relevant to this story. I didn't feel like it was gratuitous and just presented to be like, ooh, look at these scary kids, you know? Yes. But I don't know what to make of this dude
0: at all. He's obviously not stable. Right. Right. Uh, but they could never actually prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he killed these people. I and mean, he was convicted of kidnapping um, mm-hmm. in the case that they got the, the verdict on at the end of the documentary mm-hmm. for a Holly Ann, Holly Ann Hughes. Hughes. And, so he was found guilty of kidnapping Holly Ann Hughes and he got 25 to life, but he'll obviously be dead before he gets out of prison right. at this point. But I just find it bothersome that we don't, know the whole story there aren't bodies for all the remaining victims Mm -hmm. Uh, you know what is his story I saw an article a more recent article that he had written a happy mother's day letter to all the women on Staten Island Mm -hmm. you know just weird things Mm the
1: the sort of iconic image shot from this movie and I'm looking at it right now because it's in the review that I printed out for this I don't know why I print things out for this because I'm like 84 years old I like <laughs> to have the paper in front of
0: me no I do too <laughs> and you can probably hear it rustling in the, um, <laughs> in the actual podcast um,
1: but anyway the the still shot from the movie is um the, him doing the perp walk he's being mm-hmm. you know led down the the court um or police department steps by these detectives and he's cuffed and he's drooling he's visibly yeah. drooling on yeah. his shirt and when you look at the moving footage of this, he's not just drooling on his shirt, but his his eyes are mm-hmm. like saucers, mm-hmm. and he they're just sort of darting around. He does have right. this crazed look, around. yeah, and he looks like he's out of his mind. But then there were other bits of footage where he seemed perfectly lucid right. and you know together yes. fine. So
0: now, speaking of the drooling part, though, what I really found interesting is when the detectives, the two detectives, they were interviewing. And they were talking about how they took him to a hotel room and they watched the Willowbrook expose by Geraldo. And seeing the footage made him have that reaction. And He didn't talk for two days. Mm -hmm. He started drooling and rocking back and forth and rolling his eyes. So I wonder if maybe something... Uh, in his past with his mom being in a similar institution mm-hmm. um, and also just I don't know him yeah. his own he had diagnosed psychiatric issues maybe I don't know
1: I don't know and I couldn't tell from when they because that, that their their telling of that story and this footage of him drooling on the courthouse steps mm-hmm. was so far apart in the documentary I couldn't tell if they were saying that that was that time or had this happened many times any time it came up I, did he drool that's
0: and what I was thinking and roll his eyes and, that it was a different
1: So, because I thought if it was just the one time, maybe it was some sort of stab at an insanity plea if things didn't go well. Because I've seen news footage before where someone is clearly guilty of a crime and they're just going to try to appear out of their mind so that they get some sort of leniency. But I don't know if that's what was going on here either. Because if he worked there, if you spent two years working there, even if it wasn't as dire, because he only spent two years working there, and that was actually four or five years before the Geraldo Rivera footage. So even if things weren't as bad when he worked there, wouldn't being there on the scene be at least as crazy-making as seeing footage of it? Yeah, trigger that same reaction? I don't know. I I don't understand how you would clock into work every day if just seeing footage of it made you (laughs) lose your mind.
0: Right. Or unless it triggered a memory of him actually committing a crime and that caused his reaction yeah, instead of the i don't know
1: but the other puzzling thing is it sounds like he definitely was with this first girl who disappeared well she was chronologically she wasn't the first girl who disappeared she was the first girl he was connected to right it sounds from eyewitness accounts that they were definitely walking together right. and that that was enough to jail him initially for the kidnapping before her body was found And then when her body was found, I guess there wasn't enough to convict him of murder, even though somebody clearly had murdered her. Right. So, going back to the fact that he worked there for two years, he worked there from 66 to 68, I think they Mm -hmm. said. And the Geraldo Rivera expose was in 1972. And this first girl that was connected to him was in 1987 jennifer schweiger okay so that's a long span of time and there was just a little bit of mention of oh he was kind of a drifter and he slept in these woods and he had these various campsites and they showed like an old rusty cot that might have been one of his abandoned areas that he slept in and he probably slept in the underground here for a while And all of that was just sort of, like, touched on just a little bit, but there wasn't a whole lot of explanation for how you could spend more than a decade living that way.
0: Yeah, he did have that job, a maintenance job, in the apartments at one point, too. Oh, remember when they were talking about, I think it was a different victim. I can't yeah, remember Yeah, it wasn't name. Holly
1: and it wasn't Jennifer. No. It
0: was. And they said he was always standing there at that door, like an exterior door to one of the apartment buildings, mm-hmm. watching mm-hmm. people. So, I'm sure he, I mean, it just sounds like he moved around a lot. He may have even lived in the apartments there when he was the maintenance guy. I mean, there wasn't a lot of detail as far as timeline and, you know, his movements and stuff like that. Right. They just kind of glossed over it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, it is hard to put that together without actually having some sort of timeline and looking at when everyone disappeared and where you might have lived and stuff.
1: Right, and it's complicated by the fact that Jennifer Schweiger, the first disappearance that was connected to him, is still the only body that was found. Yes. And it was found fairly quickly after they started searching. So I don't know why these other ones, there's been no sign of them.
0: Well, and they had actually, in Jennifer's case had looked in that area before and didn't find mm. anything and then went back and found her pretty quickly. So mm-hmm. there was also discussion about, is it possible that the body was put there later to right. even frame him?
1: Or, right. Because or he was reason. the creepy guy who would be easy to suspect. Yeah.
0: And I think that was part of the devil worship discussion. Right. You know, trying to frame him. and or He was just the facilitator and would get the kids and take them to the... Satan worshipers and that sort of thing but I don't know <laughs> it, <laughs> well I just, and I they're having from making <laughs> right. a judgment on that whole discussion but I, I just have trouble believing that right.
1: Because if that's the case, if there is some, uh, you know, thriving devil worshipping community that relies on being continually fed young, innocent victims, where are they getting their young, innocent victims now? And how none seem to have gone anywhere since he's been safely locked up.
0: Yeah.
1: So that says to me a little something about his possible involvement in all this. But his that's, that's um, stubbornness with the documentary filmmakers about whether or not he was willing to be interviewed and what he would say in letters to them.
0: And just kind of toying with them. Yeah. And then come and talk to me. I'll talk to you. And then I show up and he says, and he no, he says Nope, not, not I'm interested.
1: Yeah. And, then and he detectives. had done that to another guy before. Exactly. Had him come all the way out there and then said, Nope, don't want to talk to you.
0: So, yeah, it's a, Game. He. I don't believe he's innocent, mm-hmm. completely innocent in all of these. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I think he is probably smarter than he's trying to make himself look. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It was interesting to me
1: too that they're in this sort of area where Willowbrook was. There's a lot of woods. You don't really think of boroughs of New York having acres and acres of woodland, but uh, there was lots of woods around the area. And there was also another separate hospital that was uh, like a TB colony back when they used to.
0: Yes, that's right.
1: Yeah, quarantine that was part of people the, with the whole tuberculosis. Yeah, just yeah. So it wasn't just people with mental disabilities, uh, but it was people who were physically ill yes. but very contagious. And they had an extra spot for them too. And that that building still exists is just wild to me. And all of these things were just like shut down and everybody left, and that was that.
0: Yeah.
1: And I know there's been some progress out there since then, you know, as far as what's occupying those grounds, but it's just amazing to me. Here was a weird little detail, too. Um, So of the handful of kids that he is suspected of having killed or kidnapped or both, um, they were mostly girls and uh, mostly school age. Mm -hmm. And then there was one standout who was a 21-year-old dude. Yes, But the 21-year-old dude apparently had a mild intellectual disability. Yes. They said he acted Hank, more like a 15-year-old. I don't remember what his name was, but he looked just like Mick Jagger. He did. <laughs> Somebody like described Jack. him as looking just like yeah. Mick Jagger. And I thought, oh, my God, he really did. And
0: he was actually in some of the footage about, uh, Jen- was it Jennifer? Or yes. no, Holly Ann.
1: Holly Ann, yes. So one of the girls who had disappeared, there was a scene where it was old news footage, and the reporter was standing there talking to the camera about this disappearance with this gaggle of neighborhood people behind her. Mm-hmm. And they found in looking at this old footage that the Mick Jagger guy, who later went missing, is standing right over her shoulder. Yeah. Is that just a weird coincidence? Or did... Or did, I don't, is
0: it just because it was the same neighborhood and he And odds the, are he's going to be standing yeah, there? Know. Or
1: did, did whoever is doing this see that footage and think, you know, maybe he's next? I
0: don't know. Or maybe he's seen him in the neighborhood and then saw him on the footage as well. And Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't,
1: but that, to me, was really chilling to see this guy just kind of like, oh, I'm on TV. There's something exciting going on. And yeah. then before long he's one of the missing as well right Um
0: and I also thought it was interesting I never think about these things but the when the detectives said that a lot of the witnesses who were coming forward now they didn't remember anything back then because they were drunk or you know on drugs and then they went through rehab and now they have memories of these things yeah which,
1: that's I not how that, this works it
0: seems like a scary <laughs> road to go down right you know, call a Somebody to testify. And yeah. Said, well, I didn't remember this before because I was drunk. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Right. But I've recovered all these memories just because I'm... No, that's yeah. not how that works.
0: Well, it also seems, though, you know, given the publicity that mm-hmm. Andre Rand has gotten, it really seems like it would be hard for him to get an unbiased trial on Staten Island. Mm-hmm. If I was on the jury and I lived there all my life and known about Jennifer Schweiger's case... And all these other missing people that were potentially tied to him. I don't think I could be on the jury and mm-hmm. not be biased and, mm-hmm. and already think, well, he's guilty. We need to find him guilty of something. Right.
1: Right. So I'm
0: not saying that happened here. Mm-hmm. He was convicted of kidnapping by a jury of his peers. But right. But I just don't think I could do it. Right. Cropsy. I
1: wanna talk about the name Cropsy yeah. for a minute. I was unsure about why this was named Cropsey to start with. The documentary is named Cropsy because of the urban legend that kids in Staten Island I guess grew up with or it sounds like really up and down yeah,
0: that area at, camp. at Boy Scout
1: camps yeah I guess <laughs> the Cropsey stories. was a name that came up over and over in ghost stories or yeah. whatever around the campfire uh, with Boy Scouts but Cropsey was just this kind of boogeyman figure who lived in the woods or lived in abandoned buildings and he had a hook for a hand or he had an axe depending on who you talked to yeah. the, the details were different but it was always named Cropsey and so the documentary is talking about how there's this urban legend that these kids grow up with, and then it turns out there actually is a guy who's very dangerous. He doesn't have a hook for a hand, but he really is, you know, stealing kids and poss- and killing them. But I'm curious to know where the name Cropsy comes from in the first place.
0: I was, too. Did you do the research? No. Oh, okay. Well, (laughs) I just did a cursory look last night because I, same here, was curious about what does the word Cropsey even mean? Yeah. And the webpage for the documentary itself did have some information on there about the origins of the word Cropsey. Okay. And it started by saying, well, no one's really sure where it originally came from, it's a name of a family that goes way back in New York and, and in the New York area. Hmm. And then there's the famous a famous artist with the last name of Cropsey from New York. Huh. And there was um, someone else with the last name of Cropsey from Sleepy Hollow, which of course is another urban legend.
1: Right, right.
0: Uh, so they didn't really have a definitive answer as far as the origin, but they... Felt like it had been attributed or like handed down generation to generation from an older family, you know, Uh like... Yeah, so
1: I was trying to think of, you know, some of the articles that I've read about this said, well, you know, every town has a story about, like, that the kids freak each other out with. And I thought, I don't think we did when I was a kid. I don't remember there being any sort of, like, there was a (laughs) house, like, down the street from ours that, you know, kids would kind of give a wide berth when they walked past it, just because the woman who lived there was really crotchety, and she would yell at you if you, you know, walked across her grass or whatever. But I don't remember there being anything about anybody was going to kill you, or yeah did you, when you grew up, were there terrible stories like that
0: <laughs> um there like you said there were always creepy houses that kids would steer clear of um when we would go to camp there would always be stories and of course this was before the internet mm-hmm. and before we knew what an urban legend was yeah and it's funny now you have websites you know where you can go and say is this a true story or not you Um know. yeah and back then, of course, we didn't. But now you can verify if it's true or not. And out of curiosity, one of the stories from my camp days, I searched and I can't find a record of it anywhere. And it's funny because the only place I've ever heard this was at this Baptist camp. <laughs> a bunch of us went to. Uh-huh. It was an all-girl camp. And the story was this girl woke up one day and had a pimple on her face. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <What>? <laughs> All Great this is time. already
0: terrifying. <laughs> oh, no, that's it. That's a whole... Oh, my goes. God. I've got goosebumps. <laughs> well, she did, you know, what most teenagers do and tried to squeeze it, and nothing came out. And so the next day, she tried to squeeze it again. It was more painful and more irritated, and again, nothing came out. And every day, it kept getting bigger and bigger. And... <laughs> More red and more irritated looking. And finally, one day, she squeezed and squeezed really hard, and a bunch of baby spiders came out. Oh my god. (laughs) So that was the cautionary tale of don't pick at your face. Right. (laughs) But I've never heard
1: that anywhere else. Well, it's not a very good cautionary tale either, (laughs) because if I have a face full of baby spiders, I do want them out. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that's not pleasant, but I'd rather
0: have them out (laughs) than in. I'm pretty sure it's impossible for a spider to lay eggs (laughs) in your your face. And even if they tried to, I don't think the eggs would survive to right. the point of hatching in baby spiders, <laughs> right. and, then and they'd so all fly out at once.
1: <laughs> oh, man. So. But it's, it totally happened. My cousin's sister's hairdresser totally happened.
0: somebody that I know. Yeah.
1: Totally. Yeah. Well, I will say, when I went to college, there was a story in that town, which at the time, everybody thought was unique to that town, but it turns out it's one of those things that everybody says happens in their town. But there's like a stretch of road where on a certain night if you go drive at a certain time you'll see a girl in a prom dress and you pick her up and I guess the story is she's in a prom dress and it's (laughs) raining and you pick her up and she's cold so you give her your coat and then she gets out of the car and you're like oh my coat she says go to this address I'll give it back to you tomorrow or something and so you show up to that address and it's a cemetery and you see a tombstone uh-huh. and the de- date of death yes. is like that date 20 years ago mm-hmm. and your jacket is lying on the tombstone so yeah we thought oh my god that happened here and it's one of those stories that just gets recycled everywhere.
0: Yeah. And I think it's even been in a Supernatural episode.
1: Oh, really? Think, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so yeah. I wonder who came up with that first, because apparently it's such a compelling story that everybody claims it yeah. as their own yeah. town's story. But, yeah. I don't it's know. funny
0: how those things spread. And now it's so much easier with email and... hmm Facebook, and Mm -hmm. things go viral, but back then, we just had word of mouth.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I guess it's aided by the fact that if you live in a place like Staten Island, and they have a creepy setting like the old abandoned institution, that's going to feed more of a story, Yeah. whereas 20 years before that, it would have been an actual working institution, (laughs) and unless you were inside, you didn't know anything was amiss. It was just where your neighbor went to work, and the lawn was nice and green, and
0: So, it's
1: funny what setting can do.
0: It is interesting how he tied the Andre Rand story back to the urban legend of Propsy. Mm -hmm. Both stories are interesting Mm -hmm. in their own right. But, yeah, I mean, it's like he started, you know, with, let's research this urban legend. You know, but, Mm -hmm. oh, but there is this... Creepy guy. He's not Cropsy, but right. it could be fueling the, or it could have at the time fueled the, uh, you know, don't go out alone at night. Cause right. Like, watch out for Cropsy. Yeah. yeah. The name Cropsey is kind of weird and creepy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know? It is. Mm. Um, the whole story is just bizarre, and I wish there was some, you know, like one of the detectives said, all he has to do is write down on a piece of paper, here's where they are, here's where the bodies are. Yeah because only the one was ever recovered and you know people don't need necessarily need the details (laughs) they just want to know where their children are you know and so that would be the end of it as far as they're concerned because he's already in jail as you said for even if he's not convicted of every single thing he did he's in jail pretty much till he dies because he's no spring chicken but he seems to get kind of a kick out of manipulating people and Mm -hmm. keeping the mystery alive and
0: Getting the attention, getting yeah. publicity. Yeah.
1: yeah. So even if even if he was just part of a process of what happened to them, if he delivered them to somebody else to do what, just cough it up. <laughs> yeah. Just tell. You know that would be worse than losing a child. Even is losing it, knowing the child is lost and not having any sort of idea what happened. Right. Or where they are. So I wish it had some kind of resolution to the end of it, but it just was more questions.
0: Yeah. To a parent. They'll always be alive unless there's a body, right? Yeah. I just cannot imagine.
1: Mm-hmm. It would yeah, be the worst. Yeah, I don't uh, usually get. You know, I know there are people who can't even watch things mm-hmm. like this because of concern for their own children. I've never really been that sensitive about watching stories or reading stories about children who are murdered. I don't know. I just I just don't have that gene, I guess. Yeah. But this one really did make me kind of want to go upstairs and stare at him for a while.
0: The Sword and Scale podcast episode that is about Johnny Gosh opens with a statistic that every, I, I don't want to misquote it, every, I think, 40 seconds a child goes missing in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I was driving to the grocery store listening to that. And that is the only thing that has ever struck fear in my heart about my daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, prior to that, just like you said, you know, I usually don't have a problem with stuff like this. Mm-hmm. It seems very far removed from my life. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like we are, you know, we take precautions and we're right. we're smart about the things we do. We we don't put ourselves out there in unsafe ways. Mm-hmm. You know, it, not the that... that even makes a difference sometimes, but, right. you know, I don't feel like we live in fear by any right. means, right. but when I heard that statistic, I wanted to, like, duct tape her to my side right. and strap a gun on my other hip and right. be like, okay, let's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I did get a little twinge concern with mm-hmm. this, too, because, you know, people like Andre Brand are out there, and...
1: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah. I don't
1: know, yeah, i I feel like I make a conscious effort not to live in fear we have Neighbors who get freaked out anytime somebody they don't recognize rings the doorbell, and I'll just whip it open and be like, "Hey, what's up?" <laughs> uh, so I'll probably get stabbed to death one of these days. No, just... <laughs> stay sexy <laughs> and don't get murdered. <laughs> yeah, so I I make it a point to try not to live in fear, and so the stories like this have never really bugged me the way this one did, and I was surprised that it did. It was just disturbing. It still just left me. I, I. I sort of paced around the house for a little while after turning this one off. Yeah. I felt like I couldn't go right to bed after I had to, had some thinking to do.
0: Yeah.
1: It just was unsettling. So the site of Willowbrook now, what year was this documentary made?
0: It was made in 2009.
1: In 2009. Okay, so in the past eight, seven, eight years, things have gotten very different out there. You mentioned a little bit about what is there now.
0: Yeah, it's now the College of Stanton Island. Uh, there could be still some older buildings still mm-hmm. there, uh, but at least part of the site is now the College of Staten Island, dedicated to sociology, anthropology, and social work. And Geraldo gave one of the commencement speeches.
1: Oh, how nice. So <laughs> these things and come and full circle. It. Exactly. <laughs> he brought his mustache. And
0: <laughs> <laughs> you go to Geraldo.com, the videos. <laughs> it's really yes. he's nice. As well as all of the videos of his expose. He went back uh, over the course of 10 years, basically. Oh, wow. And From the time of his initial visit, when conditions were really bad, Mm -hmm. Um, and then he kept going back several times to check on conditions and to continue to report any sort of progress. Mm -hmm. So I think, I mean, that's probably, in my opinion, his biggest win ever. Yeah, his biggest difference in you know the world.
1: Yeah, beat that empty Al Capone about. vault. Yes. Was what was that Al Capone? The vault of Al Capone.
0: Yeah. Oh my God. The empty.
1: Yeah, and it was Dang. live. Like, oh, here we go. <laughs> um... We're dating ourselves with that reference. People are like, "What?" (laughs) But yeah, I think I read something about on that campus. They also have uh, like a little walkway or something that is dedicated to the memory of people who were who had been at Willowbrook.
0: Oh, and so there's
1: some sort of acknowledgement of what had been there and what Mm -hmm. they're doing to you know improve things for the future. So that's good. That, That is good. That. Much, I guess, is a. I wish they had included that in the documentary. Although I guess they couldn't have because that's all fairly may not recent have been developments. By
0: then. Yeah, yeah. Although he could probably. In, the, in this day and age, since it's digital on Netflix, he might be able to do an amendment to where they right, have all kind of
1: right. Things. I feel like that might have made me help me sleep a little better that yeah. night. Because <laughs> um, the way they leave it, it's just like oh, there's right. still this spooky building and right. people are just roaming around in it. There was one part where they f- saw like an old rusty wheelchair or something, yeah. just kind of tucked in a corner too. It's so creepy.
0: And obviously, lots of people had been living there, off and on, you know, transient. Um, people. Yeah. uh, In the tunnels and in the buildings and and things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's just something spooky about evidence of what was there
0: Yeah,
1: I don't know if you've ever seen there's drone footage floating around YouTube somewhere somebody did, took a bunch of drone footage of Chernobyl and yeah, set and it to this kind of spooky music yeah. and it you know it kind of flies over and into mm-hmm. things and it's just so even without knowing that there was like a nuclear disaster yeah. there just the fact that it was obviously active and populated and Quickly running abandoned. at some point and then just it was just like everybody just vaporized yeah. in the thin air
0: I don't know if I've seen <laughs> the drone footage but I've seen a lot of the photos where people actually go into that area And take pictures. Oh wow. Just the like the abandoned schoolrooms. Yeah,
1: yeah. And in fact, I when I was growing up, my dad was in the army and we spent some time like every army family, we spent some time living in Germany. The the area where we lived at the time, I guess there was a nuclear command there. And so just a few miles from where we lived, there was this big facility where like they would go and do drills all the time. And in that time since that has closed down, obviously. that's The base itself closed down in the late 80s, and all the nuclear stuff went away. But the buildings still exist. Hmm. And that's another thing that you can see on YouTube, is yeah. there are kids who go out there and just take footage of how... And it's all filled with graffiti, and there's booze bottles. You know, it's just yeah. where teenagers go to, like hang out and party or whatever but there's also you know they'll go into certain rooms of it and there's still a desk chair mm-hmm. and there's still mm-hmm. a bulletin board on the wall mm-hmm. with like you know it's yeah. just we it's just like everybody just dropped everything and ran yeah.
0: in a lot of the urban explorers you know detroit oh. i find those photos really interesting too and i just find it fascinating that you know you've got these huge areas in the city that have just returned to prairie land yeah and, you know, but you've got a street that runs through it. huh I don't know if they still do it for a while, though. You could take bus tours of <laughs>
1: those abandoned areas. Really? Yeah. Wow. I
0: guess that's weird of me to want to do that. But. No,
1: I think that would be really cool to take yeah. pictures of. And
0: Well, I, I used to send—well, I did it several times. It's been a while since I've done it. But I used to send emails to Survivor, uh, the TV show, and tell them, instead of going to these foreign, exotic locations— Take the group to Detroit and (laughs) keep the money in the U.S. But have them there in this huge abandoned area. Like there's a whole island, I guess, somewhere in the city of Detroit. It used to be a zoo. You know, that would be a perfect place for Survivor. Yeah. Yeah, Do it in the summer when it's not. That's a really good idea. I think it'd be very interesting, and it would also, like, draw attention to Detroit. You know, Mm -hmm. they could, as they typically do while they're filming, you know, they go to different areas for these challenges and stuff. They could just give Detroit a little publicity. Mm -hmm. It is
1: amazing how quickly things just sort of return to the earth. (laughs)
0: You know They
1: just The parking lots Get overgrown with weeds And the mall crumbles Into dust But there's still Evidence of it You know It's just weird And there's just Something inherently spooky About a place that was Obviously very active And populated at one point And is now just Totally abandoned
0: Right In the early part Of the documentary He said When Willowbrook Closed down Some of the residents Didn't have anywhere to go I don't know if it was Completely true But Mm -hmm. the rumor was Some of the residents Continued to live there
1: that The process of closing down institutions is still going on now. Right. And hopefully none of them are as bad as Willowbrook had gotten. But
0: I would think not it's in this still,
1: day Yeah, it's still just a very outdated way of dealing with large groups of people who have disabilities. And so when they're closing down those things are very expensive to run and mm-hmm. so the cost savings that a state gets from closing a place like that down they are supposed to immediately roll over into making sure that people have a proper place to live in the community and the right supports to not right. be in danger you know by having neighbors and access to right. <laughs> stores and you know all the things that they haven't had before so I wonder if it was handled as carefully when Willowbrook closed or if they just closed it. Because we hear that about mental health care all the time, that mm-hmm. there was a time when people were really unfairly, you know, segregated in these buildings. But then when they closed them, they just closed them with no supports. And that's when a whole there was a big boom of homelessness because they didn't have any. So I don't know. I'd be interested to know what the... Process was for closing down Willowbrook. Did they just yeah. close the doors and say fend for yourselves," or was there some kind of supports? Maybe I don't know. Even, even if they did carefully plan people's lives for after that, there's no reason they couldn't have run away from their group home or right. run away it, from Grandma's house and just I mean, thought, "I want to go back to it was,
0: it was what I know." There,
1: yeah, uh, even if it was terrible, be. it was familiar, and maybe they got all the way there and realized, I oh. Know there's nobody here.
0: There could <coughs> be more information in some of the subsequent Geraldo exposes that were out on his website too. I didn't watch the more yeah, recent ones. Yeah, I
1: feel like that's a rabbit hole I'm going to fall down later now yeah. that I know it's there. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Geraldo. Yeah,
0: I only watched the original one, but I saw there were several more where he did follow-ups, yeah. and I didn't get a chance to watch those. So I, I wouldn't mind watching those too. Yeah. Kind of- I
1: do remember seeing an interview with somebody who had been at Willowbrook and who had I think he, was, he had cerebral palsy and he was deaf but he did not have any intellectual disability Mm -hmm. he was put there because because he was deaf he was perceived as having an intellectual disability he couldn't communicate Mm -hmm. and then once he got out of there and had the proper technology and supports and training and stuff to be able to learn to communicate they realized he was 100% aware of everything that was going on which is terrifying I mean not that it's okay to do to people who aren't aware of what's going on it's terrible across the board but the one blessing of people who have severe intellectual disabilities is maybe they don't realize that they're being treated badly right. or they're not 100 percent aware of how horrible things are mm-hmm. this guy was totally yeah. <laughs> aware of it and just locked into himself and didn't have a way to communicate so
0: well and how many are aware but never get a way to communicate and we just don't know
1: right so, anyway.
0: Treat others the way you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. We could all end up in a situation where we have to rely on others one day.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I say that to people all the time. That's a club you can join at any moment. Yeah. <laughs> one illness, one accident away from
0: it could needing totally. help with everything. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right.
1: That's probably a good time to end on a high note. Yeah, <laughs> what do you
0: have? What's your, what's your high note?
1: My high note... Is Boston. My sister and I went last week on a trip to Boston, which is a city neither of us had ever visited before, but we had on our list. And we were inspired to go to Boston in particular because of a podcast that you and I both enjoy very much, My Favorite Murder, <laughs> have been on tour. And they were doing a show in Boston, and so my sister texted me one day and said, Hey, you want to go to Boston and check out My Favorite Murder? And I said, Yeah, sure, let's do it. So that was our reason for going, but we built in you know, a few days on either end to just sort of explore the city and look around and what a great town. I didn't really go in with any expectations. There are people who, you know, have said that people in Boston are rude and there are people who've said Boston's amazing and you won't even... I just went in with no expectations at all. Like, just a total blank slate. And I was blown away by how friendly everybody was. What a cool town it is. There's just a lot of history there and there's a lot of culture and it's all... It's very compact. It's not, you know, like when you go to New York, you feel like you're hoofing it for miles and miles and miles (laughs) to get anywhere you need be, it felt like every time we just crossed the street, there was something else to see and everything
0: was... That's nice. So you know. stayed right in the city mm-hmm. near the harbor?
1: We stayed in the theater district. We actually were right across the street from the theater oh. where My Favorite Murder was, which is great. And that happened to border with Chinatown. And so the first night we got there, we dropped off our bags, we freshened up a little bit, we went right back out in search of dinner. And we went to... This is a uh, happy ending... Not happy ending. Why do I always want to call this happy ending? <laughs> this is high note number two.
0: You can call it 1A. happy ending. <laughs> I'm just determined to call it happy ending. Um, it's happy. It's a Dan. <laughs> It's a happy it's ending. A happy
1: ending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we wandered around Chinatown in search of dinner, and we ended up going to this place that was a hot pot place, uh-huh. which I had never been to before, but it's just, you sit at a table, there's a big burner in the middle, they put down a pot of broth, you can tell them what kind of broth you want, how what flavor, how spicy, and then you order a platter of stuff to drop in it, and we ordered a big seafood platter, so there was like squid and shrimp and all kinds of fish and stuff. You just drop it in the pot with veggies and whatever else you want to throw in there. And it cooks right in front of you and you just scoop it out. and mm-hmm.
0: So it's kind of like a low country boil combined with like, yeah. Um, fondue. Yeah, it reminded me a lot
1: of a fondue place. <laughs> but instead of like, you know, just spearing it and taking little bites or whatever, you're just ladling wow. all this stuff into a bowl. And it was so cold outside that this was just the perfect to just sit in front of a steaming bowl. Oh yeah.
0: Of some, it was nice. so
1: good. I didn't want to leave.
0: That does sound nice. <laughs>
1: yeah, and we, and up completely stuffed but not like you know when you eat so much you feel gross we yeah. felt yeah. completely stuffed but totally energized and just oh it was so good. Oh, good and just the other day when it got really cold here again I texted her and just like sent her a picture of somebody sort of staring off into space and said I was just thinking about that hot pot
0: <laughs> she was like yes it would be a perfect day for a hot pot so, so my favorite murderer were you one of the girls in the audience yelling at corrections <laughs> <laughs> uh, by, the t- by the third time she said Agawan instead of Agawan or whatever it was,
1: we were yelling it out like we were Boston natives or something. But yeah, so everybody. But when she made that first slip up that she mentioned in a podcast, I don't know, months ago when she said something about Worcester, Massachusetts, right. even I, I was like, I've never even been there, but even I was like across the kitchen, like it's Worcester, yeah. but yeah, so it's, I guess it's just like a running joke with people in Boston that she doesn't know how to pronounce Yeah, but she, they corrected her like three different times on that one in the audience, yeah, and everybody was yelling it by the end. I think she might have been doing it on purpose.
0: Oh yeah, I think definitely by the end she was. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a really good
1: podcast. If you get a chance to see them live, it's definitely uh, an experience. It's really cool to see how they interact with each other.
0: That's good. Because, well, I think, and I guess they had visuals yeah and this was the first time if they're gonna do that they need to just have a YouTube channel
1: yes <laughs> but yeah. then I
0: guess they wouldn't sell as many tickets
1: yeah that's true yeah <laughs> well, but it did. was cool to have the visual yeah. aids because I you but know
0: you, I, when I was listening to it though I was like "Whoa, well, this is not fair <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> they're talking about something on a screen I can't see that's
1: that. true yeah they should have something on the on the Facebook group or something like a you know when you were a kid and you'd get those books uh-huh. with the record and it would beep and you'd turn the page yeah or PowerPoint <laughs> Presentation. <laughs> right. Yeah, but it was cool to see. They would put up on the screen behind them the mugshot of whoever they were talking about. So everybody would be like simultaneously horrified or oh. amused or whatever. And it was just perfect that one of the murders they talked about was uh, the Gigla. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is just so fun to say in a Boston accent. But I wondered, too, is it weird for them if they're doing hometown murders in the hometown? Do they worry about this? Somebody here could be related to these people. Yeah. Or
0: But then I, I thought, the you're out of my favorite
1: murder. You know, like you you signed up for this. Okay. <laughs> that's such a weird phenomenon because that's one of those things that I just thought this got to be only me. Well, I guess it started with my mom. My mom was always really into true crime and, and rule books and all that stuff. And, you know, so when uh, like a Dateline murder or something would come on, I would be like, ooh, we got to solve this one. But I, I didn't realize how many other people had the same... I mean, it seems obvious. Why yeah. would there be a Dateline TV well, show if it wasn't a widespread interest? Like,
0: you know, even like the Agatha Christie, you know, yeah, back in the day and stuff. Yeah, but I think today's difference is we can talk about it more graphically mm-hmm. and it's okay. We have more research available at our fingertips with the internet, and mm-hmm. obviously the whole um, you have discussion forums and things like that available to you. So right, seek out others. And I think that's the beauty of the internet.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So no matter what you're interested in, there's something out there. That mm-hmm other mm-hmm. people that are interested
1: Yeah. So we went to dinner before the show uh, at a restaurant that was right next to the hotel, right across from the theater. And so as soon as we sat down and started looking around, it was just table after table of carbon copies of us,
0: just like two
1: two (laughs) chicks at a table, like kind of looking like they were discussing gory details of something. And I said, I feel like everybody in this room is just headed across the street right after this. And so there was a table that got seated right next to us. And those two women were talking to each other and one of them said something about a murder and we were like, woohoo, murderinos! <laughs> so, so sexy! Yeah, and we just ended up high, and then the server came over to us, and she said, are you guys going to a show tonight? And we said, yeah, we're going to my favorite murder right across the street. She said, oh, I'm so jealous. So the server was a murderino, too. So yeah. it was just like, what a phenomenon it's become.
0: Yeah, it really has. I Mm -hmm. think so many people (laughs) listen to it now. It comes up randomly Uh in a lot of places now. Anytime anybody mentions a podcast.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and there was a a news story floating around on Facebook yesterday of a woman who, um, I don't remember where this happened, but she was put in the trunk of her own car and was being driven away from a gas station or through a gas station. And in the security footage, you could see the trunk pop open and she just rolls right out of there. She
0: does. Like a stunt
1: woman. And, and scrolling through the comments underneath, which I really should not do, except sometimes you're rewarded this way. A woman said, "Wow, she stayed sexy." <laughs> and someone underneath said, "And didn't get murdered." And then the MFM murderinos blah <laughs> blah blah. was like, "Oh my god, we're everywhere." <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was that was really cool. Boston in general is really cool, and uh, I don't think we spent nearly enough time checking it out. And plus, it was cold, cold. So we said we're going to have to pick you know some time to do this again.
0: Yeah,
1: in you know, more reasonable temperatures to um, really have a chance to look around.
0: Yeah, yeah, but fun. It's a great I'd time. Love to go somewhere. Yeah,
1: yeah, really good time. Yeah. How about you?
0: Super cool. My high note is that I've been working on the technical parts of the show. And yeah. So I'm just really happy that we're on iTunes now. Yay! So, and I'm not doing this to promote the show, I am just enjoy learning new stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we've got uh, documentaries.com is all set up now. And so hopefully we'll be able to stay on a Saturday release. Uh at least until we're done with season one whatever that is yeah I haven't added any sort of credits to the end as far as like editing or anything else because we're doing that ourselves. (laughs) Right. And you've gotten really good at it. I don't don't know if a professional would listen to it and say the same thing, but I really appreciate you
1: saying it. (laughs) Well, no, really. And I was saying this before we started recording today that that when I listen to our episodes, there are times when I know, I remember that I took a long time to think of the right word or I rambled too much in this. And I can tell where you have very neatly cleaned it up. And it makes me sound (laughs) smart and organized and not totally rambly, so thank well, you, you for that. you're smart and organized. <laughs> um, but I ramble a lot, so you clean that up, and thank so, you. So, um,
0: that's my high note, that I'm just really happy with you know, being able to do this, and yeah. I used to have a career in technology, uh-huh. and I don't miss the corporate world at all, yeah. by any means, but I do enjoy doing stuff like this and creating. I just love to create new stuff and yeah. learn new stuff, so I'm just happy that this is out there. And, yeah. Yeah. And you all are listening. <laughs> all of you. It's like I do know, my husband is the only known subscriber that I know of. So, hi, honey. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Please rate and and uh, what is it? Please rate and review. Yeah, yeah. And um, honey, my, my, <laughs> my
1: husband apparently needs a good talking to when I get home because I don't think he's subscribed yet. But yeah. It's turning into a legit operation, and that's all because of you and your technical skills. Even if you're learning it along the way, you're learning it, and um, it's coming out really nice. So thank well, you for doing all that. Well, it's fun to
0: see you regularly, too. Aww. i got to say that. Thanks. So it's it's a good excuse to get together and talk about documentaries. Yeah, yeah. And this actually makes me do more digging after the show, so to speak, mm-hmm. which I enjoy. Yeah. About too. You know, Yeah, a lot of talk I don't do nearly enough
1: digging after I don't think. I, I always call my husband Wikipedia Brown because whatever we watch, he immediately falls into this Wikipedia search thing that goes on forever. And yeah. before, you know, he knows everybody's birthday at the end of it, and oh, like, all this information but I don't do nearly enough research after I've turned it off I'm just like oh well that was interesting uh,
0: but yeah I'm really enjoying it that's my high note cool so, good alright well thank you for listening and be sure to like our Facebook page it's Talkumentaries and also visit us at Talkumentaries.com and we're on iTunes now so be sure to subscribe rate and review like all the other podcasts <laughs> so we will see you next week bye, bye.